Welcome back to another episode of the Average to Athletic Podcast. We're back with another blog recap. We are moving on up in the world. We're going through number 11 through 15. This week we've got a little bit more of a, uh, a broad ranging set of topics. I start to branch into some more of my uh, philosophical ventures. But uh, we have one on the word becoming flesh, which is the idea of distilling knowledge and embodying it. A further expansion on that concept with the body knowledge. Then one of my favorites, which is a big concept that I think had I written it, written it now, it would be a little bit more uh, popular of a, a uh, piece, but the breakthrough or breakup concept. Then we talk about blue lights and we talk about being an NPC. So a lot to discuss and cover today. We'll get to them. And as always, I'll read through each in its own time and add my little editorial comments when appropriate at the end. So thanks for tuning in. Number one, the word became flesh. It's a profound statement that begins one of the Gospels in the Bible, and one that defies our conventional understanding of the world, which makes it safe to assume that most people have no idea what it actually means. Anytime we use inside jargon as virtue signaling to demonstrate implied understanding without the manifested essence to back it up, we don't get it. In other words, if we talk about it but don't act about it, we ain't about it. I spent a long time trying to read the Bible and other deep texts with the intent of figuring out what the words mean, as though some riddle was before me that needed translation. That's why I never understood much poetry. Instead of reading the words as an expression of sincerity that best describes an inner state, I tend to search for a literal translation. And that's not a successful pursuit. Words exist as units, like bits of computer code, letters, roots, and phenomes grouped together to describe something, whether tangible or conceptual. You can think of words as our attempt to pin down the nebulous to domesticate it, or a modern-day understanding of that is that words define memes. Memes are the essence of an inside joke. I-Y-K-Y-K. That's a meme right there. Oh, you don't get it? Well, you must not be cool. Memes are the container for the unit of information that conveys some truth. They are the true barrier for compassion. Lines draw to signal in and out groups. Languages, jargon, slang, words can foster community or create distance. Memes that are pervasive and important enough exist at the level of subconscious awareness. They need no words. Life, love, pain, death. That which defies our capacity to explicate is often the most true. Rather than live in the light of that truth, humans pry at the meme to understand it, as though by murdering your beloved and peeking inside their body you could know them better. We love to dissect beauty, until it lies dismembered on the operating table, devoid of its original essence. Words are our first attempt at grappling with the unknown. Like an infant putting toys in their mouth to learn, we explore words to bring form into the fog of confusion. Literally, in form, to put in formation. As we label and define these memes, they exist in the intellectual, distance and conceptual, separate from true understanding. But when we allow the meme to pervade our being and become part of who we are, they become manifest, made flesh. The word became flesh means that truth has become known. This is the process of learning, skill development, mastery, and relationship. And as a little post-text comment, uh, one thing I did write is that uh, I was going to continue on this train of thought tomorrow. This is not what I intended to write at all. Sometimes when I sit down to write, things just flow through me, and those can be either very convoluted and confusing because it means I don't fully understand it yet, or it can be just pure magic. One of the things I have worked to do as I've gotten more reps in with the blog is write things that are more digestible. So even reading through this, it's it's beautiful prose and nice big words, but it's um, – it's, it's kind of intangible and hard to understand, and I realize that the value, I mean, there's one part of this, which is I write so that I can get words and thoughts out of my head and kind of uh, examine what's, what's popping in and out of the, the, the skull I have. 
Uh, but another part is just to, to try and convey meanings. And I think that's part of the conversation today is that the idea of memes, the most effective meme kind of conveys a, a lived experience without having to put words to it. Um, you see a picture, you see a face. You, there, there's a, you can convey so much meaning with just a simple meme. And I think that's the most effective way of communication, or maybe that's how, how communication started. And so when you kind of branch off into this flowery language, you lose some of that. So, you know, those are things that, like, from a learning perspective, I've gotten better at. But it is just interesting to see in, in hindsight looking at some of these pieces. But the point is, with this article, if you read things as though the person has meaning they're trying to tell you, then you forget to put your own meaning into it. And so a lot of times poetry is one person's perception and experience of an event that then once it leaves them and leaves their, their their being and it exists in the form of a poem, it's for you to interpret. And so I think much of those things, if, if you look at literal works of art and written words as though they are going to tell you what to think and what to do, then you kind of miss the point. And so a lot of this is how can you look at these works of art, look, of, look at anything that has um, distilled wisdom that's lasted the test of time and understand that it's for you to interpret that in light of your modern context, not for you to find some hidden meaning in the text. Number two, embodied knowledge. Embody, to give a tangible form. Embody, contained within our physical self. This is the knowing of our tissue, the familiarity of touch, the groove of a refined movement. When we truly grasp a thing, we hold it within our actions and physical essence. I know that this all seems like intangible semantic play around fuzzy conceptual wooery, but it is something we all know. Think about basketball. The late Kobe Bryant reigns as an example of a legend in the sport. Goat discussions aside, he lived and breathed basketball. After a lifetime spent with the ball in his hands, he developed a oneness with it, as though the ball was an extension of his being, a natural continuation. We get what that means. He didn't literally have the ball stitched to his hands, but his familiarity, confidence, and comfort demonstrated a supreme closeness. And to a certain extent, we all have an experience of this. There are the mundane associations of our daily lives, driving the same car, wearing the same clothes, or spending time with the same people. But that's only a shallow example of this intimate oneness. For those possessed by a passion, the process of learning is one of putting that knowledge inside of your being. As the skill moves from foreign to second nature, our body literally remodels around the movement and manipulation of the matter. Hands grow calloused. Joints wear according to forces. Fascia patterns along lines of motion. This is the literal process of the word becoming flesh. It's the pursuit of some truth being born out in your body. And though we take it for granted with an arbitrary metric like the 10,000 hour rule, it's a miracle. There is no guarantee that growth will happen. The only way to find out is by showing up as a vessel through which this transformation may occur. What happens next is the magic. Number three, breakthrough or break up. In a past life, I was married, and by that I mean like 10 years ago. One of the reasons that ended was because I didn't have the interpersonal skills required to manage an adult relationship, specifically the capacity to navigate difficult topics and have hard conversations. I also got married right after I turned 21, so I guess that makes sense. I tend toward the conflict avoidance side. My natural state is that of a people pleaser. But they never quite served me well, so growth for me in the last decade has looked much more like acknowledging things that bother me and acting accordingly. As part of that, a phrase that's become a mantra for me in difficult moments is breakthrough or break up. To my knowledge, it's an OG saying, which is an original gram. The gist is that when you run into a barrier, it's a testing point. If it's a true boundary issue, a value-based hill I'll die on, then I can rest on that in confidence. This removes the constant self-doubt that undermines communication. Hard conversations follow, but the result will either be that the relationship breaks up and I move forward, or the relationship breaks through and we've moved forward. There is no yielding with values, the principles you stick to even when it costs you. 
It took many failures to understand that there is no other option. Those small concessions that keep the peace seem acceptable in the moment, these are compromises that eat away at your soul and sense of self. I've learned to trust my triggers. That's not the same thing as trusting my first reaction. That's often a heated emotional knee jerk that would burn bridges. But when my attention is peaked about something that rubs me the wrong way, I now trust that there is something to explore. In the past, that same trigger would lead to hours of rumination while I tried to engineer a way to minimize my intuition and downplay my needs. Now it looks like deep calls with close friends, hard conversations with loved ones, and a willingness to face the difficult facts of what breaking up may look like. The hard part, and skill to develop, is the ability to articulate that value meaningfully. People who love you choose you. People who choose you hold you in unconditional positive regard. People who hold that space for you sit with you as you articulate your interiority. And once you've spoken your truth, they'll collaborate with you on a better future. That may still be a breakup, but so long as you hold your integrity, it won't be a regret. This concept works for all relationships, work, friends, teammates, etc. Side note, I'm not advocating for a divorce, and I understand that this concept is trickier in a marriage. The goal is that by the time you get married, you've had enough of these breakup or breakthrough moments to hash out the big rocks in your life. Ignorance only gets you so far. Dating is a time for honest, real talk, not hooking up. And as a little extra note there, I, I know there's probably not much more that needs to be said on that, but the breakthrough breakup, I mean, that has saved, not saved, but it's helped shepherd me through so many arguments and disagreements in some capacity. Because when you're in a relationship, it, it can be often lonely because, you know, when you're in the messy part of trying to figure out your identity and then the, your partner's also in that same spot and then you have to figure out what a group identity, collective identity of the two of you looks like, you, you don't always know who to talk to because, you know, like if you want to bring someone else into it and you have to like explain the context and you don't just want someone that's going to tell you what, you know, you want to hear. And so it's difficult. But I do think the concept of like breakthrough or breakup, like it allows there to uh, create a resolution on potential conflict. So instead of thinking, oh, this is going to be wherever it is forever, it's like, no, we're either going to figure out a way to overcome this as a couple or we're going to break up. And I think a lot of times people from a people pleaser perspective end up minimizing their own perspective and their needs and their thoughts and per, you know, like their, their intuitive knowing for so long that they kind of forget the idea of like, well, I could break up and that's always an option. And I think once you obviously, you know, get married, that's a different commitment, different, different process. But the idea of like, you know, really taking your values seriously when you're in the dating process, I think makes a big difference. And so that breakthrough breakup concept model is, is very valuable. Number four, blue light problems. Last night I made an exception and I paid for it. I turned off the F.Lux night shift screen adapter on my laptop to look at a few different fabric colors on a potential couch. Without blue light, everything looks kind of brown. It was just for 15 minutes, but it was late enough to totally mess up my sleep. I'm sure you've heard something about how blue light after sunset throws off your brain's natural sleep progressions. Our brains don't sense time. They use environmental blue-yellow light hues to signal what brain activity is appropriate. Blue light goes away when the sun goes to bed. Now, if you've been living in an LED land for a while, you probably don't even notice the light strain that happens. But rest assured, this blue light is not letting you rest assured. Now, you could walk around with blue light blockers like a true laptop warrior, but I think that's a limited solution. Might be a good backup though. I prefer to change my environment. Changing the light fixtures away from fixed LED installations. The built-in LED lights are economical and last a long time, plus they offer cool shapes. So they are common in new construction or rentals but they're way too bright. Even options that are adjustable rarely, if ever, go below 3000K, which is still far too bright. 
I learned this the hard way when replacing the light fixtures before renting my house in NC. It's not If it's not a fixture with a screw and bulb option, it's not for you. Of course, if it is a light you only use during the day, that's different. Number two, changing the light bulbs to be warmly colored, 400 or less lumens. That's the measure of how bright it is. You can still get LED lights, but they don't get dim enough. So as a workaround, companies coat the outer layer with a yellowed tint to make the light appear dimmer. From what I've seen, 400K is as low as they get. I like getting A15 bulbs because they're smaller and emit less light. I've used these in the past, but just found these. And in, if you're listening to the audio, I have links in this, so it would be worth hitting the link in the description below to check these out. The particular light bulbs I'm talking about seem a little more tinted and have a lower wattage. The other option is a typical incandescent bulb. The Edison style looks good and can be dimmed. In any event, make sure the light bulbs are dimmable. Number three, changing the light switches to dimmers. This will require a little YouTube university if you've never changed light fixtures, but it's straightforward. Dimmers left you shift the light to whatever intensity you need. You don't need it in every room, but key places like the bathroom and kitchen where you'd be doing lighted activity at night without a lamp option are good. They're more expensive than normal switches, but it's a one-time investment that's worth it. Sometimes you'll run into compatibility issues with LED bulbs, but make sure the option you get works with both. It'll say on the box. Last note, this is an easy decision if you own where you live, but what about renters? If you plan to stay in a place for longer than a month, bite the bullet and upgrade the light bulbs and one to two switches. Ask the landlord if you can get creative with fixtures. Worst case, you take the light bulbs, fixtures you bought, and dimmers with you when you leave. But resigning yourself to poor sleep and worse health just because you don't own the place and won't upgrade it to suit your needs is playing helpless. I've got a buddy who won't change his lighting because it's an apartment, yet complains of poor sleep every night. You can get floor lamps or salt lamps to use at night too, but no matter what, just don't be a victim. Once you experience the low light cave at night, you'll never go back. And I just have to add in another postscript note on that. I cannot recommend adjusting your light enough. It is. I know some people get like, oh, that's whatever. You're getting all biohacky. Like, it just makes such a difference. It is when I get around people that have like their screens fully brightened. Even if you don't have the night, like, just put the night shift on your phone. I mean, but I get around people that have that or their LEDs at night, and it just it's it's horrible. So go out of your way, make it a priority in the next week, and and reset your environment. It'll make such a huge difference in your life. I promise. Number five, are you an NPC? In case you're not up to date on simulation theory, the matrix, or any video game lingo, NPC stands for a non-player character. In essence, these are the fillers plugged into the world of a video game that occupy basic positions needed to give context for the story of the main character. They have a limited set of responses and a repeated loop of actions they perform. In the real world, or at least the one we're agreeing to experience right now, being called an NPC is a pretty insulting thing. The gist is that you're lacking consciousness, or at least the breadth of consciousness that would lend to an experience somewhat resembling free will. While it's dehumanizing, it does point to a useful paradigm. There is a relationship between optionality and autonomy that defines what we can call free will. The more optionality you have, the more autonomy you have, and thus, more capacity to enact the form of self-authored existence. The opposite is also true. Of course, this is limited by our finite carbon-based meat suits, but the principle holds. To be a real player in the game of life, you can't have a fixed mindset, meaning that our capacity to change our mind, actions, and identity is a prerequisite for our human consciousness, the ability to create narrative from experience. We all know someone who's essentially become stuck, votes blindly along party lines, lives in the same unconscious weekly routine, eats the same food, drinks the same beer, watches the same sports team. They exist within their zone of familiarity and have essentially turned off their brain. And you can see it too. There's a bit of a dull look in their eyes. Here's the thing. 
I think we're all born with potential. Every mushball blob of a baby that's pushed into the world is essentially a balling sack of stem cells. Sure, genetics have set things in motion, but there's a tremendous lived experience that will unfold with choices to be made, problems to encounter, and lessons to learn. Whether we push into discomfort and expand as an individual in our adventure of our life, or simply fall into the societal norms laid out for us is our choice. Comfort acts like gravity, always pulling us one way. But while we all tend toward the route of an NPC, it's not set in stone. We can be woken out of our slumber at any point. I believe that alarm is pain. When the NPC role you've been playing doesn't serve you anymore, your body will let you know. Whether you respond to that call to action or numb it away will define your life. And yes, I use a lot of words that are hotly debated by nerdy academics. Don't miss the forest for the trees. A little post-summary thought there is, I just I really love that idea of like thinking, you know, you are default in NPC, meaning you're going to be pushed and, and pulled into a set of expectations, but you have the opportunity to take part in the adventure of your life by choosing to not not just be difficult and not just to create drama, because I think a lot of people just they they learn that their autonomy is in saying no and that that's part of it, but they you know, kids throw temper tantrums and say, No, I don't want this and you know, the it's just not necessarily the most helpful perspective. But more more pertinently, the work is to address the pain, the difficulty, the challenges that pop up, and that's the work of your life. So uh, bringing scrutiny to your interior to examine yourself, I think that's, that's how you grow and you uh, remove yourself from the consistent stuck state of an NPC. So anyways, I think that was an interesting idea. I'm just a big fan of it. And there you have it. One more blog recap in the books. We went through number 11 through 16. So 11 through 15, 11 through 15. So we'll continue to pick this up and I'll get more, but I've got some fun people lined up that I, I'm friends with and I want to talk to. So we'll keep chipping away at this podcast thing. I don't know. It's just another thing to do. Anyways, I appreciate you. Thanks for stopping by. Uh, if you want links to the blogs, they're in the description below. And um, if I now have a free foot, hip, and shoulder program that's completely free, and I'll put a link to that below as well. So I think it'd be great for you to get started and take care of your body. Have a fantastic day.